0: Hello, and welcome back to There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I'm your host, TK, a teacher and pop culture enthusiast. In this episode, I'm joined by writer and podcaster Wayne to reflect on the Hawkeye series. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can follow me for updates and behind-the-scenes extras at Idea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter, and please consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also support the podcast by purchasing There Was an Idea merchandise from Spring. The link is in the show notes. Enjoy the episode. Today, I am joined by a blogger and comic book aficionado who is also one of the co-hosts of the Vox Podcast, a pop culture roundtable podcast that I enjoy very much. Welcome to the show, Wayne. Hey,
1: thanks, Tara. TK, right? I said I was going to do that, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> I revealed your true identity to the world. I'm sorry. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to this.
0: So why don't you tell listeners a little bit about yourself and your work with the Vox Podcast and elsewhere?
1: Uh, okay i guess my my origin story i've read comics always i i can't remember not reading comics people ask me you know that standard question well what was your first comic and I, I learned to read from comics mom read them to me along with everything else she read to me so i don't really have that memory they've just always been omnipresent um and that's just a, a fandom that i've carried with me my whole life uh, never really stepped away from it over the years i have written comics professionally, I did some inking for Malibu Graphics back in the 1990s. Uh, self-published. Um, back in the 90s, before there were things like Kickstarter, Peter Laird of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles had a grant called the Zeric Grant where he was funding self-publishers. And a friend and I got the very first one in 1993 oh, wow. for a book called Great Legacy. Um, and then somehow, 10 years or so ago, I fell backdoor into comics academia just through connections. And so I've taught as an adjunct here in Pittsburgh at both uh, University of Chatham and the University of Pittsburgh uh, classes on comics history and pop culture, and on the graphic novel. Uh, I was on the board of the Pittsburgh Museum, which was a museum of cartoon art here in Pittsburgh, uh, and did numerous presentations uh, through it, as well as presentations at local libraries and some of the other local universities. So, so yeah, I've I've worked with comics a little bit. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'd say so. You're coming to us with a, a wealth of knowledge and experience. I love this idea of of you learning to read from comics and and just what are some standouts from that early period in your life?
1: I you know, I a few years ago I um yeah, like any kid in the the 60s and, and I'm old so so there's that uh, like any kid in the 60s you know I read a lot of you know the the Disney stuff and I also read superheroes really early uh read Archie comics. And then like cool. everybody else grew out of Archie comics. And then sometime in the last 10 years came back to them and realized how much genius and good art there is. in a lot of <laughs> really good Archie comics. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of that. And I, you know, I was kind of, my mom was an avid reader um, and just read everything. And that included comics. She, she told me stories of getting the Sunday paper and just going for the the comic section back in the days when a comic section was a big deal. And, you know, like reading Prince Valiant every week for 40 years or something, you Mm. know, that sort of thing. So when she read to me, I mean, there were children's books and all that stuff, but comics were just part of it. You know, they just they were always there. Um, But I also I remember inheriting a box of comics from an older cousin at some point that had not the earliest Marvel stuff. Like I there wasn't, you know, Amazing Fantasy 15 in there, but some of the really early mid 60s Marvel Silver Age stuff that, that I read. Uh, I would have been a little bit too young to have been buying myself, but I have really vivid memories of reading some of that stuff. And the exact origins of that box of comics are a bit of a mystery to me, but
0: <laughs> Very but,
1: cool. uh, but there's a lot of them that still stand out in my memory. Like, Oh, I read that. You know? I guess that's the other piece. I, I worked in comics retail for 23 years. So I, I have that end of the entire formula as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. I remember chatting with you about that on, on your show on the Vox podcast. Mm-hmm. So before we even dig into Marvel and the MCU specifically, mm-hmm. considering your, your history with comics in all of these different areas, what are you looking for in a live action adaptation of these stories or these characters?
1: Yeah, you know, that I think that varies from thing to thing. Like, I, I'm old enough to remember the really bad adaptations that were on. Like, you know, I, I watched the, the Hulk TV show in the seventies because it was on and it was a superhero, but it didn't bear much resemblance to the Hulk I read in the comics. Okay. Um I remember even then feeling some disappointment about that. It just, it wasn't what I wanted. And somewhere in the last 20 years, particularly with the MCU, it feels like, and I know I've said this to different people, it took technology this long to catch up with, Jack Kirby's imagination and Jack Kirby and everybody else who worked in in comics, just the reality is you could do stuff on the page that you couldn't do on the screen until recently. So I I go into it, I think differently than a lot of people. I'm not a hardcore purist where at all that's not my, you know, I I recognize they are different media. They, they have different, different rules of storytelling. Um, I read a comic now and I recognize there's 80 years worth of history going into it we have what 15 years 20 years worth of movie history with, sure. with the marvel universe um yeah i over the years i enjoy the mcu stuff i think i think i'm not as big a fan as a lot of people assume i will be mm-hmm. and that's not to put them down i thoroughly enjoy most of them and you know, like any of them they're the ones i like the ones i'm not as fond of but i go see all of them sure <laughs> so i'm a fan but it's it's a different experience for me um my my relationship to reading comics that very specific joy i get out of the interplay of the words and the text on the page is very different than what i get out of a movie experience and just in general i'm more of a comics graphic novel guy than a tv guy or a movie guy you know it's just it's for my fandom has been as someone who watches too much tv and too many <laughs> movies yeah. so i my expectations are different i you know I, if they are on track i mean there's certainly things you know I, there's stuff that like that don't work for me. There are certain adaptations, uh, that I'm not as fond of. I just watched, um, the, the HBO Max Titan series, just finished the, the third okay. season of that recently. And you know, there was a time in the early eighties, the Marvel Wolfman George Perez run of New Teen Titans introduced Cyborg and Raven, etc. That was one of my favorite books ever back in the day. Like it and X Men were just neck and neck at the time. And as such, I have a tremendous fondness for, that group of characters and I watched all three seasons and it was just a little dark and grim for me. Um, Like there were, there were things about it. I liked enough that I watched all three seasons there. The casting I thought was really pretty amazing, but overall there was a tone to it that was just darker than I want those characters to be. And, And that's a personal reaction to it. You know, I know people who are watching it and loving it. And some of that is just my expectation of who those characters are and how they act, and we all carry around our head canon of of what characters are. Oh
0: yeah,
1: and and as long as things don't diverge too dramatically, I'm okay. But then every once in a while, like and eh, you know, and we'll get into some of that with Hawkeye as well. But certainly MCU you know, MCU MCU Hawkeye is different in many ways from comics hawkeye but i'm a fan of both and and we can talk about some of those differences as we get more into this
0: i gotta just go back for a second though and think about you know with this long history that you've had being around comics and specifically marvel comics being a part of that in the year 2008 or the year before or so whenever it was announced when you heard that iron man was being brought to live action like can you revisit that moment? Do you remember what impact that yeah. had on you? Or at the time, were you just like, eh, all right, whatever?
1: Yeah, well, because you know, we'd had the Spider-Man movies at that point, which, right. which I liked. And I was like, well, let's see what they do with it. And part of me was a little surprised at that choice. I, I think in 2022, after you know 15 years of Marvel movies or whatever it was, I, you know, Iron Man was never – top tier Marvel character in the way we think of him now, right? He was around. He always had his own book. He was always a member of the Avengers, but I never really thought of him as top five Marvel character, you know? Uh, and so I, I was a little surprised that 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 was the choice they went with. And they brought a character to that character that was certainly based on, on what, uh, what was in the comics, but Robert Downey Jr. Just brought so much personality to that character in certainly based on what we knew of Tony Stark in the comics, but he just brought a charisma to that that was different than what we'd seen in the comics up to that point. And the comics adapted to that as well. You know, Tony in the comics now is much more like Robert Downey Jr. than he is. Tony Stark circa 1980. Sure. <laughs> All these medias feed off each other. Right. They, they certainly influence back and forth. So
0: Yeah. Another example that I remember hearing about is Nick Fury and how Samuel L. Jackson's portrayal of that character kind of then changed or influenced who, who he is in the comics as well. And The Guardians, I believe, I remember hearing that too.
1: Yeah, what they, yeah, the Guardians very specifically. Um, well, in the, the Nick Fury thing, I mean, Nick Fury was, he was Sergeant Fury in World War II, you know, and a secret agent in the 1960s. And it was this guy who was, you know, a World War II veteran, which made sense in 1965. Right. Not quite as much now. Um, and you know, Marvel launched the Ultimate Universe, which was a different continuity than the main Marvel Universe. Yes. And the Nick Fury who appeared in that specifically looked like samuel L. jackson and there's a scene where the characters are sitting around a table discussing who should play them a move in a movie <laughs> and nick fury says sam jackson <laughs> and then it happened um so yeah that influenced the way that took place back and forth and mcu hawkeye has a lot of elements of ultimate comics hawkeye as opposed to marvel comics hawkeye
0: Okay. Very interesting. So let's let's yeah. talk a little bit more about that because we are here today to talk about the Hawkeye series, which yeah. the last time you and I spoke was before the series had premiered when I was on the Vox podcast with you. We were talking mm-hmm. about Eternals at the time and we were talking yeah. then about how you would be such a great fit to come on this show and, and talk about this character, this series in, in particular. So what is your background with the Hawkeye character in comics <laughs> form?
1: Yeah, you know, for some reason he's always been one of my favorite Marvel characters. Uh comes and goes depending on what's going on at any given time. But I um and I can't remember specific specifically what my first exposure to him was. There was a series in I mean, he he started out as an Iron Man villain, uh for two or three appearances. Uh and he was a villain because Black Widow was a Russian agent and he was in love with her and he was doing her bidding. Um so they're both characters who have been redeemed in the comics sure. for being bad guys. So he didn't really start out to be, I want to be a bank robber or rule the world. He's just, I'm in love with the black widow and she wants me to do this stuff. Okay. Um, and which is the beginning of Clint's story, trouble with women in the comics, <laughs> world, which, yes. which is one of the big differences with the MCU uh, and one that I like, but um, he came, he joined the Avengers. There was an era called the, Fandom refers to as Caps Kookie Quartet.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, the
1: Avengers started with Thor and Iron Man and Giant Man and Wasp and Hulk. And they all left the team. And it was left with Captain America, Hawkeye, Quicksilver, and Scarlet Witch, who up to this point had all been villains.
0: Uh-huh. And
1: it was a yeah, and it, it was a major at the time, it it was really a risk in terms of sales. Like, let's take away all our main characters who have their own books and are guaranteed sales and replace them with. A bunch of little-known supervillains who want to be good guys. Um, That predates when I was buying comics, but that stuff was being reprinted in the 70s in a book called Marvel Triple Action. So I was reading that stuff at the time, and I liked that run a lot. I just in general, I tend to be drawn to lesser-powered characters, uh, which you know, that's part of the appeal of Hawkeye to me. He was very definitely the obnoxious dick on the on the team he was always (laughs) questioning captain america's authority and calling him methuselah because he was old and a world war ii veteran that sort of thing but even at that time you marvel part of you they they made their stock and trade by seeing genuine character growth and characters changing and being different over time and even during that period where hawkeye was being kind of obnoxious you saw this grudging respect for, for Cap come into play and you saw Hawkeye beginning to learn how to be a hero. And I, I think that is so much his story arc in the comics under the best story arcs, the, the best Hawkeye story arcs over time. Um, that's kind of the essence of that. Um I see him as somebody who once he discovered that there were superheroes and you could use, you could do good as obnoxious as he was or as he he wasn't the law and order captain america kind of guy he wanted to be a superhero he, he that was the life he chose he started out as a a carnival trick shot which once again in the 1960s was something that happened now that doesn't make nearly as much sense
0: mm-hmm.
1: but he he really wanted to be a hero, and you see that play out once again, spread out over you now decades of that character. Um, right around that same time that there was an issue of the Avengers 109 that was really a focus on Hawkeye. And I, I kind of pinpoint that as the book that that. Really made me a fan, and and it's been a long time since since I've read that issue. But he was just he was fed up with the Avengers. He was wearing a really stupid costume at the time, and he <laughs> got rid of it and, and put back on the the classic blue and purple outfit, and left the Avengers. Went out on his own, uh, came up against someone named Champion, who was a man who had mastered all the skills, just all the physical skills. He wanted Hawkeye to teach him archery. Uh, which he did, and the guy mastered it, and then he immediately wanted to use it to rule the world. And
0: <laughs> of and, course, <laughs> uh, and,
1: yeah, and 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 Hawkeye managed to beat him purely through skill. And uh, but even at the end of it, you know, the Avengers show up at the last minute, and, and Hawkeye has won, and and they're inviting him back, and he says, "No, I need to find myself," which started this weird period of Hawkeye guest starring in books. Okay. Uh, he was a member, he was a member of the defenders for a while, uh, long enough for the Avengers defenders war where they were, you know, the two teams were fighting each other and he went up against Iron Man and beat him in that. Uh, it's one of my favorite early Hawkeye moments. <laughs> and I, I guess maybe I should talk about that. It's like, I'm, I'm trying to focus on, on where these parts of the conversation come in. Cause there's a. There's a scene in the last episode of the Hawkeye TV series where Kate tells him why she admires him. And it, it was almost exactly what I've been saying about my fandom for Hawkeye for years. Um You know, he lives in a world and is on a team with the living legend of World War II, who is the absolute peak of human abilities beyond the peak of human abilities and a Norse God who's thousands of years old and super strong and a guy who wears a billion dollars worth of technology on his back. And Hawkeye has a bow and arrow and some attitude <laughs> and he has proven his worth to them and his being his, their equal time and time again. And I, I admire that if you're invulnerable like Thor, how much bravery does it take to walk into a battle? if you got to stick with a string on it eh? you know <laughs> that that has always felt more heroic to me and it's not i'm not saying i don't like thor and these other characters but just as a as a perspective and kate kind of says all those things about hawkeye i you remember you know, for years conversations with other comics fan he's got a bow and arrow that's stupid he, he Hulk could just beat him up well you, you read enough stories; it's it's his attitude and puts power and determination that makes it work. Um, in that Avengers: Defenders War, just he, that it's that classic. There's a MacGuffin. They're all they're traveling around the world to pick up the pieces of of this thing and that they need to, you know, and they've been manipulated by bad guys and all this stuff. And uh, Hawkeye and Iron Man show up in the same place. Hawkeye gets there first. He finds this thing. Iron Man shows up and kind of just starts into typical Tony. Clint, Clint, come on, give it up. You know you can't beat me. I've got a million dollars worth of armor on my back. you've got a bow and arrow. What are you gonna do? And while is blathering, Hawkeye plants an acid arrow in his forehead, melts his faceplate wow. and gets away while while he's getting the faceplate off. Just just being smart. Yeah. Um there was, I think I wrote it down, Avengers Annual 19, and Mav and I, my my co-host on the Vox Podcast. Um this is one of his favorite moments. It's Avengers annual number 16 and the grandmaster who uh, we've seen in the movies, he's a cosmic games person. He just, he plays games. That's his reason for being. And throughout the history of comics, he gathers a team of, of characters, typically superheroes and challenges somebody else to, we will put them together and fight. And he's done this with Dr. Doom and whatever. And Avengers annual 16, he's, he's done this and, and, the teams keep getting beaten, and and they all start coming. Um, you, know, the basically Cap and and Hawkeye are the last two left, and they're going to be fighting against all the other heroes. And they're standing there, they're talking to Grandmaster, and Hawkeye's like, "Look, look, I got an idea. I'm going to challenge you to a game." And the Grandmaster's like, "Hmm, okay, what is this game?" Hawkeye takes a an arrowhead off of one of his arrows, puts his hands behind his back, brings up two clenched fists, and says. Pick which hand it's in. And Grandmaster's, hmm, simple, a simple game of chance. This is primitive, but I have to take you up on this. He picks a hand and it's empty. And Grandmaster says, clever, you win. And he disappears and Hawkeye beats him. Cap's like, oh my God, what were you doing? You you, you did that based on a 50-50 chance? Hawkeye opens his other hand and it's empty too. He says, hell no, I cheated. <laughs>
0: That's amazing. So so he
1: cheated one of the elders of the universe and just that's the hawkeye I love.
0: Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing those examples. Like I you you can't see me and obviously listeners can't see me, but I'm just like riveted listening to you share these moments from the comics. I'm so struck by how you're discussing how how badly this this hawkeye wants to be a hero because that is resonant in the show as well when we see Kate and, and her journey of wanting so badly to be a hero. So I love that connection. And
1: and, and that's, that's the way Kate has been presented in the comics as well. Um, Clint was dead for a while. Like a lot of superheroes are. Right. Um, I, I I don't want to go too much into it. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis wrote a run of Avengers started with Avengers disassembled, which started out with him killing Hawkeye Um and I I was not a fan of his run. I have mixed feelings about Bendis as a writer. He's done stuff I really like. He's done stuff I've not been fond of. I, I did not like his run-on Avengers and very specifically his take on Hawkeye. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. It's um one of the things he got right with Hawkeye is there was a scene where they were all they some mystical thing with Doctor Strange, and I forget the reason behind it, but basically to get this information their deepest desire was going to be revealed to everyone else in the room. And in this scene, Hawkeye saw himself as Captain America. Wow. Like, yep. Yep. You got that right. Um, when Kurt Busiek started writing the book in the late nineties with George Perez, uh, first story arc, they had every Avenger who's ever been an Avenger in it. And they've all been brainwashed by Morgana Le and are living in this Renfair world. Um, and Cap, of course, the force of will breaks out of it and he goes to get people to help him. And he knows he needs to go find the people to whom being an Avenger is the most important thing in their life. And the first person he goes to is Hawkeye. Wow. And Hawkeye says, I, you chose me? Why? He says, you're the most obvious choice. And they don't talk about it anymore. But he's like, yep, he is. <laughs> yeah, that's So awesome. once again, that's the Hawkeye I like.
0: Yeah. And I can see why, I, you know, I, before the series premiered, I read the, the fraction, my life is a weapon and little hits and mm-hmm. really enjoyed, enjoyed that. Obviously, that's a, a much more recent take on the Hawkeye character in comics. Yeah. And that had come recommended to me by Mav and, and others. And I really enjoyed that. But hearing from you, you know, an even longer history of this character in comics is, um, it's so captivating to learn more about, and I can I can see why uh, you and others would be drawn to this character. And I also have to say, some of these comic book premises are so great.
1: Such comics things, yep.
0: <laughs> well, before the Hawkeye series came out, what did you think about Clint's character in the MCU? You've talked about how there's some, some ways in which he was presented similarly or differently, but were you a fan of mm-hmm. Renner's portrayal? Yeah, I, I was.
1: I, I like the casting of that. In general, I like Jeremy Renner as an actor. Uh, I was fine with that casting. Um, I, I think my my thought on the first movie is how underused he was. Yeah, you know, I wanted more out of him. Uh, but at the same time, I get it in terms of all the characters that they're introducing in this. He is the least of them in the public eye. And I understand why he didn't get that focus. Uh, and I'm thrilled that he got the TV show. So we got a real focus on that. Yes. Um, like I said, it's, his background in the MCU is based more on Ultimate Comics, where he was a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, he'd been an assassin, um, that sort of thing was his background, which makes far more sense both in the Ultimate Universe and in the MCU. Uh, it's a radical change from from the, the comics.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Hawkeye's pretty anti-killing in the comics, and there's example after example of that. Uh, where he he takes a heart, and that's him wanting to be Captain America. He is not, he's not Wolverine. He doesn't kill willy nilly, um, and that's something that I think Bendis got wrong about the character. He kind of treated him as the Wolverine of the team, and
0: okay.
1: like wow, you're just really ignoring all these really specific examples, giving lectures to other characters how we're heroes, we don't kill. Um, so that's a difference in the the MCU, um, and I thought this series did a good job of kind of showing there's a cost to that. Yes. Um, I say it makes sense for that character in the, in the movies and that universe. And I'm fine with that. It's a different character. Um, but I'm, I'm glad to see that he was able to, you know, that there is a cost and they, they played that up. I, once again, that human side of him, I think I, you know, he got more play in the Ultron movie. And I think my f- two favorite moments in that is him, giving Wanda the story of I've got to stick with a string on it, you know, and we're going out there and doing this. Yeah. And then at the end of the battle, he's just freaking exhausted. Right. You know, he, he comes in and he collapses because he's human. And I think that's his role in the MCU, particularly the Avengers is with all these gods and super soldiers and multimillionaires in their armor. He's the human guy. And I think the TV show just nailed that. You're the guy we can be. Yeah. You know, like, like you have this preternatural skill, but it's something you had to work at. You, you're not a God who was born with the ability to use a bow. You had to work at this. Yeah. And as we saw with Kate, it's possible other people can do this.
0: Um, and it's something so he chose, be- right? It's, it's, and it's something that she is choosing. And I think that yeah. the show really emphasizes how important that is. And it makes him all the more relatable that you were speaking to it earlier, right? It, it takes more bravery to make that choice <clears> when you don't have those other, yeah, as you said, those other superpowers or the technology or whatever it may be.
1: I- exactly. And the little Easter eggs in the show, the, um, uh- you, Kate drew his his classic costume when she's talking about a costume for him, and yeah. and, and, and and it has the the H on the forehead. But you know, the one bandage he had on his forehead for the entire show was in an H shape.
0: <laughs> oh wow! I didn't notice that. <laughs>
1: yep it, it was the, the the like two butterfly band-aids on like the upper left hand side of his head.
0: That's amazing. With I gotta the, go back and look at with, that with,
1: with with the cut across his head and the two butterfly bandages, it makes an h so so cool so, so he had the H on his forehead for the show whether he liked it or not.
0: <laughs> so I agree with you that being able to spend some more time with Clint was something that really worked about the Hawkeye series and the way that they tapped into his humanity and made him relatable was really a strength of the show. What Mm -hmm. were some of the other elements about the six episode Hawkeye run that we saw on Disney plus? What are some of the elements that worked for you?
1: I I liked seeing more of an exploration of the family, his relationship with, with his wife. Um, Once again, big difference from the comics In the comics. He just has a succession of failed relationships. He's still, he's still friends with everybody. Like I I never saw him as a womanizer. He's just someone who is remarkably bad at relationships. (laughs) but somehow seems to be really good at the friendships after. Uh, And and that plays out some in the the Fraction series as well. There's the one issue where you Black Widow shows up as the work wife and uh, Mockingbird shows up as the ex-wife and Spider-Woman shows up as the girlfriend (laughs) at that time and just kind of playing off of that. Um, But I, I like seeing that him being a family man. Here's this thing he has to live for. And it gave even more resonance to this is the thing he lost. This is what sent him on this dark path. And when you see that relationship with the kids, you know the, the youngest one's name is Nate. Well, yeah. named after Natasha, you know? Um, and and seeing those relationships and how this had to be done, but it was killing him not to be home at Christmas with these kids. Um, and him taking Kate under his wing as well. He was trying to protect her, but... He, but protect her by pushing her away in the one episode but you know you're my partner as he says you know him caring about her um and i think you know a lot of that's what it comes down to with that character whatever the background of shield assassin or whatever he's someone who cares you know he wouldn't be putting his life on the line like this just as a job he does it because he knows he can and it's important um something that hit me after watching that last episode and and boy, this might be debatable. I don't, I don't know. Uh, when he's talking to Yelena, uh, about Natasha and this plays into Kate asked him, what was your best shot ever? Yeah, And he said, the shot I never took. And he talks about giving Natasha a second chance, seeing something in her that allowed her to come over, be an Avenger to you, no longer be this Russian assassin, Russian agent or whatever. Um, and it hit me that oh Clint sparing her at that time that's what saved the universe if he hadn't done that she wouldn't have been there to sacrifice herself
0: wow yeah
1: so Clint's best shot eventually saved half the universe from Thanos
0: man yeah when you put it that way that's um, wow. yeah
1: yeah and and you yeah, that that's subtle but it's certainly there it's implied his it is yeah his giving her a chance at a different life and a better life. And that was her returning the favor to him in that scene where right. where she sacrifices herself instead of him. She's giving him back his family. You know, it, it's you you gave me a life that yeah. I didn't have and I'm doing this to give you back yours.
0: Man, if possible, I, just I, talking about it this way makes me love this character even more than I came to love him from the <laughs> Hawkeye series. You're so right. And it it makes me think about not only like like his influence, right? This influence that he mm. had on Natasha, the the ways in which he is a teacher. And he it seems like he really recognizes something in people and Certainly there was something he recognized in Natasha. There was something he recognized in Wanda. There's something that he recognizes in Kate. And
1: mm-hmm. he really And I think he did in Yelena too. And yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow.
1: Yeah, that that hit me. I like it was the next day I'm just thinking about the show. I was like, hey, wait a minute. And and there's there's a resonance a resonance to that that I, mean, I really like. There there's something powerful and it makes their relationship more powerful as well. I, I love their relationship, even though it's something that it's something that's been really well developed in very small ways mm-hmm. in civil war when they were fighting against each other. And there's sort of that little, like we're still friends. right? <laughs> <Love that moment. laughs> yeah. And it's like, that. that's great. That's the nature of their relationship. Um, and I, and I love that. And I love how she was just part of his family. You know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, his, his wife is there, Laura. Um, I, I keep wanting to call her Bobby now because of the reveal. All oh, right. Of right. Yeah. <laughs> agent, agent 19, Bobby Morse, whatever. Um, But uh, just, you know, Natasha's part of the family, whatever his history of her is. um, Lara accepts that she's part of the family. Uh, And that's just adult and real.
0: Yeah, 100%. And I agree with you, too, that another element of the Hawkeye series that worked for me is the, the, the specter of Natasha, kind of the way her presence is felt in this show because it oh, both yeah. honors her character in the MCU. And it really speaks to, as you say, a, a really real relationship that he and his family would have to her. She would still be a really big part of, of their lives. So I, I love, I love the way her presence is felt in, in the show.
1: Yeah, very much so. And it just, it, it colors everything. I mean, so much, she was so much part of his life. Once you bring Elena into the picture, um, that just you know adds so much more to it. And it be given his relationship with with Natasha the fact that Elena shows up makes complete sense yeah you know, it's just, oh and that, that was one of the other things I thought with the show is just how many pieces of the Marvel universe get brought together with that. I mean obviously there's the whole kingpin thing which mm-hmm. ties it in with the Netflix shows which was you know a big reveal that I think everybody was expecting and and the fact that Kate did kind of take him on you know yeah. uh that's you know, it's showing that her skill set and and that she can do this and much like clint um she really wants to be a superhero um i and the my other example of that in comics and you know, this ties in with what i was saying with titans I, you know, probably my favorite dc character is dick grayson mm. um I, it's you know, when i was a kid he was robin and he was a kid and then there was that he was getting older and they didn't quite know what to do with him. And that new teen Titan series happened. And given my age, like those characters in that series in the early eighties were coming out of their teens and going into their twenties. And one of the themes of that series was who am I going to be as an adult? I'm stepping out of the shadow of Batman. You kid flash is stepping out of the shadow of flash. Uh, who am I going to be as an adult? It was very much a coming of age story for those characters who'd been around as kid sidekicks for years. And uh, that's the age I was at the time. So I you know, and it's weird. And now I'm much older than that. But in in the DC universe, Superman and Batman are always older than me. And mm-hmm. Tim Drake and and Impulse are always younger than me. But Dick Grayson and I are the same age. And that just always feels true to me. But there's a there's a series called Robin Year One that was kind of the origin story of Robin. Came out at least 20 years ago, and you know, to me, it answered that question of Oh my God, I, what was what was Bruce Wayne thinking, taking this 10 year old kid out as a sidekick? That, that's crazy. Well, <laughs> it is. But this series showed that Dick Grayson, the moment he realized who Bruce Wayne was, the moment he realized that superheroes is something you could be in this world, that's what he was going to be. He just, nothing else. Like, I'm going to be a superhero when I grow up. That's what I'm going to be. And it was kind of, Bruce couldn't stop him, so I better train him. And I I just, I like that deciding very early on to be a hero.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think that that's another element here that rings true with Kate and Clint in the show as well. And I have to say as well, like, the introduction of Kate here, I thought just struck a, a perfect chord and... I, I think at first, the first couple episodes of the show. I think there were some people who I was talking to who were watching it, who were like, "Well, is this really Hawkeye's show, or is it kind of about this this Kate person?" And I think, mm-hmm. I think ultimately, there's some intentional stuff in the production of the show, right? That they want to introduce this new character who's very much going to be mm-hmm. part of the MCU moving forward and highlight Haley Steinfeld. And I think that she's awesome and all of that. Um, but I also think that yeah. the show still was about Clint. I, I think that. Yeah. Him sharing space well, with someone else and teaching someone else and seeing the ways in which his story of heroism is reflected in her, the way she looks up to him, I think it is about him. I think it's very mm-hmm. importantly speaking to who he is.
1: Well, and that exact same question was asked about the Matt Fraction series. Mm. Um, and and the answer is, you, is this about Clint or Kate? And the answer is yes. Right. <laughs> uh, the, the, the Hawkeye and the title refers to both of them.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, you She became Hawkeye when he was dead. Um, just you know, took on the name, took on the identity in the Young Avengers, um, and there's a a great story of you know, he comes back, and when they finally meet, and she just like, um, you, you want your name back? I mean, I guess it's yours. <laughs> He's like, I I don't see any reason we can't both use it. Yeah, and just kind of, just kind of accepting, you know, you were here when I wasn't. You're using the name, you have honored it. Sure, you can be Hawkeye. Why not? And, and once again, over in D.C., there's like 37 people with the name Flash running around. And nobody questions it. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so the the Matt Fraction series is very definitely, it was about both of them. And I think that that last scene in the show where she's coming up with all these different names and he just says, I got an idea. Yeah. And then we just get the logo. And that's addressing that. Like You're Hawkeye, too.
0: Yeah, I loved that. And
1: that's cool. And that's cool.
0: Were there any elements of the show that didn't work for you as much?
1: Um, I I don't know. I so thoroughly enjoyed it. It's my favorite of the uh, the series we've seen, and some of that just because it's Clint. Um, I, I think I think Wandavision was a show that attempted more and accomplished more, uh, just in terms of breaking down the mold of what TV can be and taking chances and and all that sort of thing. The ending of it left me a little cold. Uh, Mm -hmm. The fact that she just walked away with no consequences and we may yet see some, but that kind of bothered me. Um, I guess just in general, the whole Wanda going crazy thing is another leftover trope from the comics. I'm not fond of, (laughs) but uh, but and 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 you know, I liked Loki, is my least favorite of them. I didn't dislike it, it just didn't grab me nearly as much. Um, uh, Winter Soldier and Falcon I thought was great, but it was really such a straightforward superhero political thriller show. Um, there was nothing in the hawkeye series that just made me groan really. <laughs> um I I like to turn around with uh Jock, Jack I guess he was yeah. the, the swordsman mm-hmm. because you know they they so set that up for him to be a bad guy and then when he wasn't and in the comics the swordsman is you know, he was in the circus. He's the one who trained Hawkeye when he was young and started out as a villain and he eventually became an avenger. So much like Hawkeye that that transition from villain to hero took place with that character. Uh, somewhere out in the universe, he's married to Mantis. So, oh you know,
0: wow, <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, uh, nothing to do with the MCU, but in comics, uh, he, he he married Mantis um, in a really convoluted. Set of stories from the seventies. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back 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 when a lot of people. If you read, uh, there's I, it's, it's called the Marvel Saga. There was a great book on the history of Marvel, and boy, were a lot of those Marvel writers doing doing acid. And oh, I'm sure. In the 70s. <laughs> and and when they were listing who they were and what they were writing, it's like, yep, yep, they were. <laughs> so
0: I recently started reading some of Jack Kirby's Eternals, so I understand. Yeah. <laughs> that's insane yes. that
1: stuff is just so insane I'm
0: really enjoying it i'm really enjoying it it's so different yeah, good the colors yeah. i mean obviously it's you know a, a more recent printing of it but the colors just pop and yeah. the characters are so over the top and it's it's um it's fantastic
1: <laughs> that's great i'm glad you're reading that stuff yeah, yeah that is so bizarre yeah, very much so. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and Kirby in the seventies—he just, he, you know, and he has such a long history. And like, there was a Black Panther book coming out for a while. It was written by, I think, Don McGregor, and it was weird and dark. It's it's a series that introduced Killmonger, and just all these weird you know, creepy, almost horror story kind of things. And then Jack Kirby took it over and it became this bizarre science fiction series. He obviously hadn't read anything leading up to this, you know, <laughs> anything that had come before. I mean he he co-created the character in Fantastic Four, so he was aware of it. Sure. But he obviously came back to Marvel and hadn't read anything that had happened to the Black Panther since he'd left. <laughs> and and it and it's crazy. And it was such a radical change from a Black Panther bit. It's just crazy. Uh but really good, bizarre stuff.
0: Well, thinking about things that maybe didn't work about the Hawkeye series as much, there are a couple of things that I could nitpick on. Like you, I really, yeah. really loved this series, and I was rewatching mm. some of this earlier this week, and I just – this is an awesome show. I really love – everything about it from the yeah, Christmas yeah. setting and what that evokes to the characters, as we already discussed. And are, are there nitpicks that you have? Like one, one of mine, for example, is like the burning of the Ronin suit in the last episode. The suit didn't burn in the fire at Kate's apartment. So why is it burning? You, now? You,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't pick up on that. Um, I, you, and it's. I guess you, one of the things it, it was played for laughs and like, we're seeing the, the, the tracksuit mafia, you like, they're dying left and right. I I don't make any pretense that people didn't die in, in that battle Yeah, but somehow you know, they're shrunk down and the owl comes off and carries them away and it's played for laughs like oh my god that's horrible this owl is going to eat them and feed it to its babies yeah. and something about that feels far worse than being blown up in a car yep <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, you know, I, I was complaining there.
1: about yeah you know the ending of, of WandaVision leaving me a little cold because there were no consequences but like okay you can make the same point with, with some of this <laughs> You they, OK, they, they were bad guys and you can make a point that maybe they deserve getting blown up in a car. But being fed to baby owls, that's a bit much.
0: <laughs> yeah, that sounds a bit like cruel and unusual punishment.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> I think if, if I am going to pinpoint one thing that didn't work as well for me, it, it might just be I really enjoyed the introduction of the Maya character. And I know that they mm-hmm. are setting up for the Echo spinoff series. And I'll, t- I'll talk more about what I did like about her and the way she's introduced yeah. in a little bit. But I feel like in that last episode, she, I, her interactions with Kazi and with Kingpin almost feel like they don't get the weight that they deserve. Like I wonder <sighs> if it would have been better to save some of those scenes for her own show. And I also found it a little bit strange that Kingpin didn't Share any scenes with Clint at all, even though they allude to the two of them having a history.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's. I, I think that's a good call. I, I think they were introducing her. We know there's a show coming, so they were setting up a lot of backstory. But I think her story got lost in the midst of Clint and Kate's story. In some ways, it, it was too much to introduce all that stuff. And yeah, like there was no resolution to that, and it it lacked some of the weight. I mean, that final confrontation with, as you say, Kazi Kingpin. It didn't feel, well, first of all, I don't believe she shot Kingpin or mm-hmm. if she did, you know, um, it, none of that felt resolved. And I know that's a comic stroke to be continued. Same sure. time, same Bat channel.
0: Uh, and I'm fine with that. Did, it,
1: yeah, yeah, right. You know, I'm going to watch it, certainly. Exactly. Um, but I, I, I think you're right. I think it, it felt like there was a lot of setup for very little payoff with her character. And I know that's setting stuff up but in the moment it it felt unresolved.
0: Yeah, yeah, cuz I think if if she is making this decision that she's going to shoot Kingpin, which is what it sort of suggests, but also if we're savvy TV viewers because we don't actually see it on screen, it probably didn't happen. (laughs) Um, Right, right,
1: exactly. But
0: I feel like that would be a big moment for her. And even the scene between her and Kazi, we do get some backstory into who Maya is and what these relationships mean to her. Um, Mm -hmm. So it would certainly be a really big internal conflict for her to be able to get to the place where she could harm or or kill Kazi or Kingpin. So I'm sure it will be explored more later. It's just one of those things where the finale attempted to tackle all of these stories in different pockets, and I appreciate that. It didn't really take away from it for me, but yeah, that's just one thing if I had to kind of point out yeah. something that didn't well, feel I, like it necessarily fit.
1: And, and I wonder if we're going to get more of that in flashback in her series, see those relationships develop
0: differently. Yeah, I hope so.
1: Differently. Uh, you know, if they'll bring Kazi back, in, at least in those flashback scenes, you know, how big a role Kingpin will play in that series.
0: Yeah, I'm curious about that, too. You know, as we're talking about this, I'm also thinking about how one of the things that has been really special about the rollout of the Disney Plus series week to week is that we've been able to speculate each week and talk with our friends about what we hope to see next at the show. Mm-hmm. And this has led to some fan theories and people get very excited. And sometimes those fan theories can be very out there. So I'm I'm curious what your relationship is to that speculation, especially as someone who knows that there are multiple different ways in which it, things could go right. that are somewhat based on comics or not.
1: yeah. I I like that aspect of TV, uh, and it feels like in these days of streaming, where an entire series drops at once, it's something that we've kind of lost. Yeah. Uh, that time when everybody was watching the same thing at the same time, and you know, I I was a fan of Lost, and part of the fun of Lost was going on the message boards and yeah. seeing what people were speculating about, and I I like that with these series. I mean, even though it's streaming, we all watch it. We're not there at eight o'clock on Wednesday. But we watch it whenever we get the opportunity to. But I think a lot of people are doing that weekly thing. And you, I mean, the joke with uh, Wandavision, of it's Mephisto, <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, and then with this, like, you, it was sort of like that. That was hey, it's Kingpin, but yeah, it, it's Kingpin. It's it's obviously Kingpin. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I I like that even when it's radically wrong. I you know, the, the part of me that thinks myself as a creative person, you know, were given these story threads and the speculation comes out of our own desire to tell a story. Yeah. And whether we're right or wrong, there's a lot of fun in trying to construct that narrative and create our own spoilers. And there's that weird mix of, yes, I predicted that, or oh, I was wrong. <laughs> and that's that's part of the fun of watching this stuff. Um, and that's always been true of comics. You know, Comics, we would get you know, 22, 24 pages a month and these ongoing stories, and so much of it was, what's going to happen? You know, it, and that was always the anticipation of of what comes next has always been a part. You know, soap operas, the day to day soap yeah. opera thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's always been part of the appeal of serial storytelling is that speculation of what comes next. It gets you excited to, to watch the next episode. Um, so I I don't participate in a lot of that online anymore. Uh, in my own brain i certainly do uh <laughs> with my friends who are also watching the show uh, we watched that with my roommate and his girlfriend and, and we talked about it from week to week about what some of the stuff meant or what it might meant and that's fun uh i i don't feel the need to go into a messy room, whatever it is these days full of strangers and yeah twitter you know (laughs) and do that sort of thing uh and parts just because i've done so much of that in my life but if you're young and you're just experiencing the sort of thing for the first time or whatever that i think that's a great experience it's i it also it builds the community you know i mean that was the other thing with comics back in the day we didn't have the internet there was letters pages there would be magazines uh if you happen to meet Two other people who knew who Hawkeye was—you were in heaven because you could talk about this stuff—and yeah. so that that shared community of uh, fanboys or geeks or nerds or whatever term you wanted to use at the time—and um, and those all sound like pejoratives—and I, I mean them all positively because I've been to all of those things. Sure, <laughs> um, <laughs> and you know that that community is part of the fun, and part of that community is that speculation of getting together with a group of friends going, oh my God, what's what do you think is going to happen? Uh, and I, that's that's part of the fun of it for me.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. And I take the approach of not getting too invested in any of my own theories right. as not to yep. be disappointed, <laughs> but I, that's very much the level on which I engage with it as as well, which is it's fun yeah. to talk about, but ultimately the creator's are in charge here and I'm more interested in seeing what they do than in my own ideas. And yeah. if I really am, you know, jazzed by ideas that other people have, there's entire communities of, as you said, headcanons and fan fiction and fan art and fan all fic. of these things. Yeah. yeah. So yeah,
1: there always has been in some way.
0: My one desire that I had <laughs> going into the finale of Hawkeye which I knew was likely not going to happen for logistic reasons. But I was really hoping to see Spider-Man swinging by the Rockefeller Cemetery. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I know that there's the whole Sony Disney thing, but I was like, if it's not really Tom Holland and it's just CG, can't they just do it? Can't they just have him swinging in the background? But right. <laughs> I guess that would open up too many things. I don't, I don't know why I got so attached to that to that one thing, to the point where and, it didn't happen. Really- I, I was a little disappointed. Yeah.
1: That's a great idea though. And and yeah, you're right. It's, it, it opens up, that's probably more of, it opens up more legal problems, <laughs> yeah. those, you know, yeah. storytelling problems, but uh, well, and, and it's funny that, that Rockefeller Plaza, you know, the the ice skating rink there, I, you know, I didn't grow up in New York. I, you know, I didn't get to New York. I, I've only been to New York city a couple of times and, and visited that place. Probably my first Knowledge of that place was an issue of the X Men when New X Men first started. It's like number 97, 98, and they're all there out of costume. It's the first time we ever see Wolverine without his mask on. It oh. establishes the sideburns and the weird hair. Uh, <laughs> and they're all out, it's Christmas time, and they're at Rockefeller Plaza. And you know, the, the golden statue is there in the tree, and people are ice skating. And then the Sentinels attack like they do. But I so associate that place with the Marvel universe more than I do the real universe, because I've seen it more often in Marvel than I have in real life. Right. <laughs> uh, and so so seeing it on, on, on the show, like, I, I know that's a real place. I've been to that real place, but that image of the X-Men standing in front of it, drawn by Dave Cockrum and it was issue 98 of, of the X-Men is still like my primal image of Rockefeller Center. And it's all Christmas and you, the whole bit. So just another little, weird little resonance with comics for me.
0: All right. So part of the mission here on the There Was an Idea podcast is to look at a movie or a group of movies in the MCU or to look at a series like this one as a whole Mm -hmm. and to identify some of the major themes to try to get at some of the conceptual ideas that tie different characters and arcs across the MCU together. So there's that week to week Mm -hmm. and then there's that, all right. What do we look at then when we look at it big picture? I'm interested in thinking about how the concepts that are at work on the micro level in a show like Hawkeye speak to or reflect or diverge from the larger themes that are established on that macro MCU level. So when covering the Disney Plus series, I work with my guests episode by episode to identify some of the big ideas that we see emerging so that by the time I get to the end, I can think about which of those ideas really developed into something more and maybe which Mm -hmm. didn't. And okay. try to arrive at, okay, what is the show saying? So we talked about a lot of big ideas in my discussions with guests this season, including a discussion I had on episode two with Mav and Hannah, who you know very well, yep. <laughs> because yep. they're your co-hosts at, at Vox <laughs> co And so we talked about things like legacy. We talked about things like grief and trauma and purpose and inspiration and communication and all of these things. And obviously some of these had more consistent threads than than others, but something that I found as a really big underlying question of this whole series is really what does it mean to be Hawkeye? And I think that what I found by the end of this is that the series was really not about him struggling with what he did as Ronan and atoning mm-hmm. for that in some way. That the series was really much more about the grief that he is suffering due to the loss of Natasha and that ties his story in with Kate's story. She's also been through trauma and grief, and she found mm-hmm. her purpose in looking up to Hawkeye and this decision, this choice to pursue becoming a hero. So to me, I, I felt like there was a message here that choice was really is really central to Hawkeye's story and to what it means to be Hawkeye and what it means to be a hero in this way. And loss is really central to it as well. So, those are some of the things that Kate and Clint have in common. Also, something that they both have in common with Maya. And mm-hmm. I really appreciate the way that the, the show made those connections <laughs> and spoke to that idea. Are there any of these themes that stand out to you as being really integral to the overarching story of the Hawkeye series? I think
1: those certainly are big parts of it. I mean, the, the whole grief issue, um, I mean, it, it's a world where. It's a universe. Half the people there died and were gone for how many yeah. years? Um, you, it, it's a world that, and even though they came back, it's a world that has been traumatized by grief, just overwhelming, tremendous grief in a way that, that we can't process.
0: Right.
1: And seeing that on that individual level, um, and, and, you, and you, Hawkeye with Natasha in particular, he got his family back. It, you know, it, her sacrifice did bring back all these other people. Um, he still lost her. He still lost that friend, uh, and and that's still very real to him. And I think, in some ways, he feels responsible for that. I think, on some level, he still, I think, he understands and respects her decision. At the same time, I think there's a little the survivors goal thing of right. it should have been it should have been me. Uh, I saved her once before. Why can't I save her again? And. Yeah, I, I think certainly Maya's grief over her father, uh, and at the end of it, grief over you know, losing everything she thought she believed. Yeah. Uh, Elena's grief, that scene where we see Elena blip back.
0: Oh, man. I yeah. found
1: so powerful. Yep. Just seeing it from that perspective was just really incredibly powerful. And, and just, say, the, the entire world dealing with that that sort of thing. Um. I absolutely believe that that is certainly one of the underlying central themes of that. Um, I mean, that stuff we're talking about that, being a hero, being a good person, wanting to, to be those things um, that comes out of caring for people. You know, you, Mm. you, you don't just decide to do these things. If you're a sociopath, right. You know, you be being a hero in whatever capacity that means, you know, you, you stop to help someone who's been in a car accident and, and the news calls you a hero, or whatever it's, it's being compassionate. It's doing the right thing. It, it comes out of caring for people. And, and just you know, in, in the interest of honesty, while we're talking about grief, my, my mom passed uh, at Thanksgiving in the middle mm-hmm. of the Hawkeye show. Um, and, you know, so I am dealing with my own issues with that right now and dealing better than I expected to thank you. Um, but I, a phrase I saw someone post in relationship, something else that, that really struck for me, which is what is grief, but the persistence of love? And wow, do I really like that definition? Mm-hmm. Cause that gives it a certain level of power rather than grief being something destructive is the continuation of something incredibly positive. So.
0: So wow, if yeah. the,
1: the show, yeah, yeah. So if the show is about that, you know, Clint's grieving over his family while they were gone, his grieving over Natasha, um, Kate deciding to do these things out of her grief for her father, Maya's reaction out of the grief for her father, you know, all these actions are taken. I and mean, even Kingpin with Vanessa, you know, there's that, they are their actions are based on a level of grief and in their perception, it's done out of love for the people they're grieving as misguided as some of that may be, but it's a powerful motivator.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and it's, you know, how do you, how do you utilize that grief in positive ways? How do you keep it from paralyzing you
0: Right.
1: And, and use it to motivate you to be a better person, be a more compassionate person? How do you turn that grief? If you define that grief as the persistence of love, now, where do you direct that love? If that person is no longer there, but the love still exists, it has to go somewhere.
0: Yeah, wow, that's really powerfully said. And I I appreciate what you're saying too, that the this show made that personal, right? We're, we're seeing yeah. that grief on a personal level and it does speak to, it does reflect the larger grief that the world would be going through in this post-flip yeah. moment. So I think that and that's a really awesome thing about what these Disney Plus series can do in really giving us time to look at these characters on- on their personal level and get to know what the stakes would be for for each of them and how it may be and, similar or different. Yeah.
1: Well, and then you know, just tying it to our moment in this real world, yes. you know, like the, the world is grieving, you know, the pandemic. How many people have died? How many people have been sick? You know, how many people have lost jobs? Uh, all of us have compromised friendships and lifestyles for the last two years. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I can't say I've lost friends, but boy, I've lost the ability to be with them. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I use the phrase, it has compromised my friendships. I think at the core of the friendships are still there, but it's compromised my ability to participate in them. Yeah, And we're all grieving those things. Whether we recognize it or not, we are all wounded by our current circumstances. So half the population didn't blip away and, and suddenly come back but you know close to a million people have died right um you know it's it's huge and everyone i know has been affected to some degree or another everyone i know has lost someone um whether really close or and that's on top of the normal day to day yeah my my mom passed it wasn't covid she was 99 years old and had mm. had an amazing life um so you know it wasn't this unexpected COVID related tragedy. So people are dying for all the reasons that have always died in addition to COVID.
0: Yeah. Life goes on, death goes on yeah, in
1: the same and, way. Yeah. And and life goes on. It's just we have this extra weight to carry exactly. the last couple of years. Um, so I, I think grief as a theme is probably popping up more places than we realize because it is just coloring everything we do. Yeah, that's whether we are point. consciously aware of it or not.
0: Yeah. It is a really great point. And it is speaking to why maybe even without consciously thinking about it all the time, why there is such resonance to be found in the MCU post blip and all of that, especially. Mm -hmm. And looking at, you know, I say like life goes on in these in these little ways. You have to deal with the everyday losses as well. Right. You have to deal with the small frustrations as well against the backdrop of this greater sense of loss. And
1: WandaVision was all about grief. Yeah you know, absolutely same themes, uh, and, and ways of dealing with it. Um, so yeah, you know, it's coming out in all these places.
0: Yeah. Wow. So we (laughs) We got really heavy here. (laughs) We did. We went to a heavier place than I was expecting, but we'll, we'll bring, we'll bring it back to a fun place for the last segment of our, of our show here tonight, because as much as this series did deal with some really heavy themes. And I think I think to speak to some of the other successes of the show, I think it did such a wonderful job of balancing the emotion Mm -hmm. with the action and with the humor and with the Christmas setting and all of the fun aspects.
1: It was a fun show. It was. In spite of all these heavy things we're talking about, it was a really fun show.
0: They struck that balance really effectively. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that I sometimes do at the end of a, uh, of a series for a wrap up is to, Think about some superlatives for mm-hmm. for the series or the season, perhaps. We're not entirely sure if Hawkeye will be getting a season two. I certainly hope it will be. Well, I say I hope it will be. I, ho- I hope to see some of the stories here that were laid out here continue. I don't necessarily think that in my mind, for me personally, it needs to be called Hawkeye season two and pick up exactly where we left off. But I certainly right, yeah. hope to see the stories continue. Yeah. So we'll start with a category, MVP, which is our favorite character of the season. And I'm going to actually go with Clint as my favorite character.
1: Uh, you know, I, I I love Kate, too. I, yeah. I, I guess I'm on Team Hawkeye, meaning both of them. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, because people wondered, you know, when when Clint was dead in the comics and they brought kate in people thought i would hate her because she wasn't him and i fell in love with kate in the comics immediately um for some many of the same reasons that that i um i liked clint in the first place when they brought them together just their relationship in the comics i thought was so well done and i just i love both of them i love the relationship and i think the series just nailed their dynamic um it's different than the comic in some places but I just watching the two of them interact just brought me joy so yeah. I have a tough time <laughs> deciding between the two you know Clint is is long-term favorite character in comics but uh, I, in the show it's it's really a toss-up between the two of them because it was so much just the way they interacted
0: so you can say that your favorite character was Hawkeye and it can be yeah, inc- exactly, all-encompassing right? yep, yep, <laughs> the answer yep, could just be it. yes <laughs> yeah I mean I loved the introduction of Kate. I thought Haley Steinfeld was so wonderful in this role.
1: When I heard she was cast, I thought she was perfect.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So good. And it's a character who could have maybe come off a little bit too immature, but she didn't. She came Mm -hmm. off as a bit naive, but she's learning. She's wanting to learn. She's striving. And I just appreciated that about her so much, but ultimately, you know, if forced by some arbitrary, activity on the podcast tonight to choose my number one favorite. I would go with Clint just because (laughs) this was the show that really made me appreciate his character so much. And I think we're going to see so much more of Kate in the MCU and see so much growth for her. And for Clint, this really feels like a really important moment to, to speak to his, his story. So. Yep. Uh, I'm wondering if you have a favorite trick arrow.
1: (laughs) I love the, uh, the, the Pym particle turning it into a giant, yeah, uh, and 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 th- that's that's sort of a reverse of something that happened in in comics. Um, and it's a trick I pulled as a, a magician with an enlarged spell on a staff in a D and D game twenty years ago. Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there was a uh, miniseries called Hawkeye and Mockingbird, and for a period of time in the comics, Clint decided that he wasn't powerful enough as Hawkeye. Uh, Hank Pym had left the team, had left the Avengers. Hawkeye got the Pym particles, and for a couple years, he was Goliath. Okay. In 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 the comic, so he has experience with Pym particles. Um, he, he was Goliath for I don't know two or three years in the Avengers. Um, so he has experience with the Pym particles. In Hawkeye and Mockingbird, they did a scene where he shoots out of a car, and it's a single arrow. In the head of the arrow are all these pin particle miniaturized containers of other arrows. Oh, cool. So when the pin particles activate, suddenly he fires one arrow and suddenly it's this mass of a hundred arrows.
0: That's very cool.
1: And that's such a great given his history with pin particles, it makes complete sense. This is an arrow that that I can make one shot and just fill the air with it the TV show turned that around rather than all these different arrows turning one arrow into this one giant missile. I thought, I just, I think I laughed out loud, (laughs) literally laughed out loud at that scene. Um, so, yeah, I did. I thought that was a lot of fun. I uh, In this D&D game years ago, I was a, a magician character, and I had a staff. And uh, like four horsemen was forged were riding toward me, and I just stood there. And at the last minute, I casted large as I threw the staff at them.
0: That's so it cool. Turned into,
1: it turned into a telephone pole and, and knocked them off their horses. And that was one of those moments where the, the game master just like, okay, that's awesome. I'm giving you that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. I can picture it. <laughs> Yeah, I gotta go with to pick a favorite trick arrow. I I love the pin particle giant arrow, but I also really enjoyed the moment with in episode four with the the grapple arrow that had the grappling hooks on either end, so that Kate could then attempt to zip line across it. And yeah. maybe maybe it's just the Christmas setting, <laughs> but it, it was very home alone to me, and I I enjoyed that scene a lot.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thrilled that they they worked the, the trick arrows into it because in so many ways that is such you know, one of the silliest aspects of of archers and comics. And Green Arrow in the the DC universe has even sillier you know. There's the boxing glove arrow and you <laughs> know, Clint's at least all make a certain level of sense. And then their conversation about the boomerang arrow just cracked me up. Yeah, but I'm just I'm so glad that they just embraced. Here's one of the silliest things about Archer superheroes. Let's just fully embrace it and run with it. And make it make sense. Right, so that made me happy.
0: If I'm to add a category right now for favorite comics reference or tie-in, I might say the labeling the arrow scene, which was a <laughs> a, a part of the the Hawkeye run. Excuse me, which was yeah. part of the Matt Fraction run. I, I thought yeah. was so so fun to see that in live action. <laughs> I mean, there was so much that uh, they took from the yeah, Fraction. Yeah, run.
1: There, there, yeah, there, there was so much of of that stuff that just I. Yeah, it, it's hard to pick I, the suction cup arrow. Just the fact that it's to, to hang on to things. Yeah.
0: You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. Oh. What was your overall favorite episode?
1: Yeah, that's that's hard to pick. I, it's I, I tend to approach these things pretty holistically. Okay. Um, I, you know, the the last episode just was so much fun, and I thought brought things together so well. With possible exceptions of that stuff we talked about with Echo, just you know, he and Kate you know him that conversation between them where she tells him why she admires him that to me just summed up like say the reasons i've always liked that character yeah uh the the big battle scene was just so much fun seeing them just working back to back in costume so much like the comic um i mean it, it was the the big the big ending, but the relationship stuff, say that scene later when he takes her home to meet the family, that, I, that just felt adorable to me. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, it, it's, that's the one that I felt myself just sort of cheering internally while I was watching, but it, but I, I do, I say it's being only six episodes, it's, it's sort of that holistic approach to it. And at this point, I have a tough time remembering exactly what happened in each episode. <laughs>
0: Sure. Individually. So. And I only do as much as I do because I was covering it week to week for the podcast. Right, right, so. yeah, <laughs> right, yep, yep. <laughs> but my my overall favorite one, and I agree with you that the entire series works so well as a piece, but my number one favorite episode is episode three, the introduction of Echo in flashback. It opens the episode, mm-hmm. and I just remember, and I think I said this on my episode three podcast episode that I did, I remember being so excited to the week before they had, they had dropped episodes one and two together and right. it ends on a bit of a, a cliffhanger. And I'm so excited to see what's going to happen with Kate and Clint and the bros at the KB toy store, like what's going <laughs> to happen. And it opens on flashback of this little girl who we then learn is Maya's Echo. And there's that brief moment of feeling like, oh, wait, I want to get back to Kate and Clint. But then within a couple minutes, I, I was just completely riveted by oh who is this person who is this new character what is this story and that was so effective and then on top of that i had a a really wonderful conversation about the themes of the episode with my guest danny for episode three and we talked a lot about how the episode plays with the idea of communication and the ways in which the audio drops out in different moments Mm -hmm. when uh to illustrate the things that maya can't hear or the things that clint can't hear or yeah. can't hear well when his hearing aid is out. Uh, the one-two punch of the car chase trick arrow scene. And then <laughs> the Clint on the phone with Nate scene, which are two sides of the same coin in terms of Clint yeah. teaching Kate, right? She learning about yep. all of the loss and all of the awesome things that come along, as she says later on, the things you gain, uh, that come from from being a hero and living this life. And then to top that off, the scene at the diner between the two of them. There's just really... Um, so much that speaks to the overarching themes of the show yeah. in episode three. And it's so fun, but also so emotionally resonant and uh, yeah. Yeah. Wonderful.
1: Yeah. Well, and to, to jump ahead to your, your next question, I think favorite yeah. scene is, is the one with uh, Clint on the fun, phone with his son yeah. and and Kate translating. That was just heartbreaking and beautiful.
0: Yeah, me too. That's, so. that's my favorite scene of, uh, of this, of the series as well. My second favorite would probably be, the scene between Kate and Yelena with the mac and cheese at the apartment.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yelena just she's so good. Just she just so nails that character. It's just hysterical. And yeah, and and the differences between them and their chemistry in that was just marvelous.
0: Right?
1: So, yeah. So, anecdote that, that kind of roughly ties in, anecdote from my real life a couple of weeks ago and my my roommate and I were at a laundromat here in Pittsburgh and we were approached by a young man from Pakistan. Who has never done laundry before? Oh wow! And, and, yeah, and and was asking us for help, and you know English is a second language, and he was he was very good at it, but over the course of the entire conversation, he was calling us bro. Oh wow! <laughs> and I was just losing it inside. <laughs> Because of the Hawkeye thing. Oh, that's and, so and, funny. And he, it And he, he was wonderful. It was, just, it was a really nice, fun interaction with, with this person who really had no idea what he was doing. Uh,
0: oh, man, that's <laughs> yeah. such a good story.
1: And, and just, he just, thanks, bro. <laughs> 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 you're, you're, you're welcome, man. It's all right. <laughs> and then you looked in
0: the laundry machine and there was a tracksuit. Yeah. I <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that's really great. Oh, what a show! All right, so before we wrap up here tonight, the other thing I wanted to ask you, Wayne, is what mm-hmm. are you most looking forward to seeing in the MCU in this upcoming ah. year? Wow, well, yeah,
1: because like I lose track of what's coming out. What's like I, I know Moon Knight's coming out is Echo, the Echo and She Hulk this year, right?
0: Yes, yeah, She Hulk is no, definitely this year. I don't know if Echo is this year. They say okay. Miss Marvel is probably this year, but that one's been delayed a couple times.
1: Yeah, and that's it. and I lose track of of that because things keep getting delayed. Yeah. Um, I, and as far as the movies, like I always enjoy the movies. I Doctor Strange sounds fascinating to me. And uh, spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen Spider Man, we essentially get the trailer for that in. Um, Yes. in the the post credit scene in, in spider-man and i hadn't i had read nothing about that scene so i didn't have any spoilers going into it and the moment i spotted america chavez i'm like oh like i i got distracted from the rest of the trailer because like oh there america chavez is going to be in this there's another young avenger they're they've built the whole team yeah uh so so i think that's really neat it's not even like that's a character that i am necessarily a giant fan of it's like oh i didn't know she was going to be in that that's that makes complete sense given who she is um so i i'm looking forward to that just to see how crazy it gets with this multiverse stuff and (laughs) what all they bring into it i think my fear of is just being a cluster uh you know too much stuff going on which is one of my problems with the loki series It, it felt a little there's way too much happening here in too many places. Okay. Um, but but we'll see. Um, I, I'm curious where they go with Thor at this point. Yes. Um, I kind of I kind of expected him and uh, Guardians to to be sort of a mixed movie thing, but that doesn't seem to be the case. And, and that would just be making assumptions based on where they ended with them. Right. Uh, so I'm curious what they do with the Jane Foster stuff. That was a run of Thor in comics in the last few years that I did like a lot, uh, where Jane Foster had the power of Thor. Um, so we'll we'll see how much of that they they draw off of. Uh, you know, I Moon Knight's a, a character that he's never been one of my favorites. Uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff with him, but he has a really mixed history.
0: Okay,
1: uh, I, I, I think some of it, I mean, part of. Part of the conceit of Moon Knight is multiple personalities, you know, phases of the moon, having different faces for the character. And as a result, I've never felt the ability to connect to who he really is.
0: Okay, that's interesting. Um,
1: yeah, the the one trailer that appeared, I think visually it looked really stunning. Yes. Um, but I don't feel quite as excited about that because I don't feel the same connection to the character. Um, She-Hulk I'm looking forward to. Same thing. Like she's not one of my all-time favorite Marvel characters, but there have been great She-Hulk stories, and I think Tatiana Maslany as a a casting choice, it is just brilliant. Yeah. So, so I am curious and and looking forward to that one.
0: Yeah. What else
1: is coming out? What there's there's another movie or two. I completely lose track because it keeps it keeps changing. On yeah,
0: the other movie that was slated for this year's Black Panther, yeah.
1: And as of right now, we we just did our um, our box office game. I
0: yeah, so and, fun. And,
1: and yeah, and we're all uh, you know, hesitant on Black Panther because like it, it, that should be a no brainer. But without Chadwick Boseman and possibly now without Letitia Wright, I don't know. You know, it, it's like there's no winning in that. Chadwick Boseman was so associated with that role. Yeah. That re- recasting it, I think a lot of people just aren't going to accept for good or ill, no matter how good the person is. That's really an uphill battle for acceptance as that character, um, given the, the response to Chadwick Boseman. Um And, you know, I like the idea of moving Letitia right up into that role. You know, Shuri became the Black Panther in comics a number of times. And that seemed like a smart way to go with, for me, but still a bit of a crapshoot her role in that seems to be questionable. So I, I don't believe it's going to come out this year.
0: Yeah. A lot of, a uh, lot of for, for, troubled for, production stuff going on.
1: Yeah. And, and it's, and it's really a shame because I, I liked that first movie so much and, uh, and just a lot of, I don't know if they're insurmountable problems, but boy, it's, it's a big problem. And, you know, a number of them. Yeah. So, so we'll see.
0: We will see. And I am hoping to have a chance to speak with you again later this year about any yeah. of these um yeah thanks
1: thanks for having me on this is great i always like talking hawkeye <laughs> yeah
0: no thank you so much you brought such a unique perspective to to talking about this series because of that knowledge and experience and history you have with the comics and if listeners are interested in hearing more from you where can they find
1: uh, you primarily the our other podcast it's uh box podcast uh i believe voxpodcast.com is our website um you'd think i would know that
0: <laughs> i'll link to it in the show notes uh, <laughs> uh
1: yes Foxpopcast.com. uh we've been our 200th episode is coming up we've been doing this weekly for almost four years now so exciting uh yeah it's uh to use our tagline it's a pseudo-academic Pop culture roundtable with drinking and swearing. Uh, <laughs> we pitch it as you go to a pop culture conference and you sit through hours and hours of people reading papers and doing presentations. And then you go to the bar on Saturday night and have conversations about all that stuff. Our show is an attempt to be that conversation at the bar. So while we try to talk about stuff academically, we want it to remain fun and accessible, and at times just downright stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we're successful on a couple of those things. So.
0: It is definitely uh, a very fun and thoughtful show, and I've been I've been fortunate enough yeah. to be able to come on a couple of times, and I always enjoy listening to you yeah, guys. I'm,
1: I'm, I'm sure we'll have you back. You've been a great guest. Thank um, you. Yeah, it, it's. um, and and it's we don't just our focus is all over the place, it's kind of pop culture. Uh we talk comics and and i just kind of everything that comes up. We have five co-hosts now with a really wide variety of interests. So our our topics vary really pretty widely. So so go to the website, take a look at our episodes, pick something that sounds interesting to you and uh and jump in. Definitely. Uh, not a lot of continuity. <laughs> But find the ones that TK are on and uh, and listen to those. That there would be you a good go. place to start for your audience. <laughs> that
0: could be an entry an entry in. I can also recommend yeah. a, couple of, a couple of my favorites in the show notes as well. The box office okay. draft game is very fun. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I have a, a blog that I haven't updated in ages, wayne-wise.com, where I talk about whatever happens to be on my mind. A lot of times it's comics and music because those are my things. Um, I haven't updated in ages, but... Uh, there's eight, nine years worth of blog posts there that if people are really interested, they could d- they could dig through. Awesome. Um, so.
0: Well, thank you so much again, Wayne. This was really fun. Yeah. And um, yeah. look forward to talking to you more about these things.
1: Yeah. Cool. Thanks for having me, TK.
0: If you enjoyed this conversation about the Hawkeye series, you can follow the podcast at anidea_podcast underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Artwork designed by Brooke Pender, who you can find on Instagram, and music by Demeter Salvia, who you can find on Bandcamp and SoundCloud. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for next week's episode, in which I am joined by a friend of the podcast, Daniel, to dive deeply into some analysis of Eternals.